You know, I forget. You guys have a clock already here. <clears throat> it's not changed, but um, <clears throat> that's okay. My clock that I brought isn't changed either, so uh, we're twins, this clock and my clock. So I guess I have no excuse <clears throat> for going over, but, well, anyway, <clears throat> we'll see what happens. I was wondering, um, to be on the council of this church, does your first name have to begin with an S? I don't know. I was just thinking that. Um, it's a possibility, isn't it? <clears throat> it seems a little exclusive to me, but, you know, maybe not. Um, anyway, sorry. Just, I, I just thought, you know, they're all S's. So... I don't know what that means. I have an S, my middle name, so maybe if I just say T. Slater Beal, you didn't know my middle name was Slater, maybe I could be on the council too, but that would be sort of cheating. All right, well, let's, it's great to be with you, and uh, I, I, I love to uh, preach the word, as you know, and it's a joy uh, to do that. And I'm uh, quite happy with the idea of having people sit closer in front uh, I know that was probably pretty hard for some of you, but it makes it really nice for if you're, if you're st uh, standing here and looking at people, um, <clears throat> and uh, it's very, very nice. Well, I think we really have a paradox in our modern age with uh, such easy access to news at the tip of our fingers or maybe even at the tip of our voice if we use Alexa or Siri. <clears throat> we've got faster access to more news than we've ever had before, which is great. But more and more, the sources of our news don't really distinguish very well between what's important in the long run and what is simply interesting but will soon fade. So I, I took a look at the Baltimore Sun's website uh, last night and while there were a few news items that I would consider important, certainly the situation with Israel and Hamas in Gaza being paramount, uh, for the sun, this was only the seventh most important piece of news. It was beaten out by a Catholic church in Baltimore, shut down because of alleged clergy abuse, four people killed in a car crash, a man who died at Johns Hopkins Hospital, whose death may be suspicious and a lawyer is going to sue, two articles about college football, and an endorsement in a Maryland political race that won't happen for another year. So that was number seven, uh, Israel and Hamas and what's going on there. Uh, by the way, uh, I have to say I was uh, very happy that in the prayer this morning that Ukraine was mentioned because uh, it seems like most people have forgotten all about uh, Russia's uh, invasion of Ukraine. Hard for um, Sharon and I uh, to forget that since we were at Donetsk Christian University uh, teaching a, a week-long class and uh, um, uh, you know, staying in their wonderful dormitories and all of that's been taken over by Russia since 2014. So I'm glad that uh, you are uh, still remembering uh, to pray about these things. Now, perhaps we could argue that some of those things that I mentioned will be important in the long run, but sadly, you and I are often distracted 
by things that for the most uh, part really won't be all that important in the long run. I've been teaching an Old Testament survey class at Master's Seminary DC Extension, which meets in uh, Springfield, Virginia. And uh, let me say that survey courses are really (laughs) not my favorites. I'm sure those of you who have heard me uh, preach before uh, can imagine that that is not uh, that is uh, the case. I like uh, much more taking a closer look at uh, every verse and uh, chapter. Uh, so I prefer going through biblical books more slowly. Some people might say at a snail's pace. Um, but uh, on Tuesday, I just finished our study of First and Second Samuel in that class, finished in less than three weeks which is crazy in my thinking, and actually it's a week longer than I should have taken. So uh, that's really sad. A few years ago when I taught uh, First and Second Samuel in my ABF ch- uh, class at church, uh, it took me basically a year. Uh, and uh, that's the pace I prefer, and apparently it's about the same uh, uh, pace that your pastor uh, prefers uh, since he has preached precisely 52 sermons he may not even have known that, on First and Second Samuel thus far. The first one was on March 1st, 2020, uh, which is a year before their son Nathaniel was born. And the last one is two weeks ago, and we're uh, awaiting uh, 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 child number two any moment. So um, whether one takes the slow, scenic route, as uh, both your pastor and I prefer, or makes the fast-paced sprint, as I did the past three weeks, one can't help but notice, as we look at the life of David as a whole, that David continually went back to what was most important. His focus was usually on the things that mattered the most. And I hope that you and I will, in that way, follow his example. Despite all of his faults, we are reminded that David was a man after God's own heart. Now, if you're paying attention, which I'm sure you were, to Pastor Sung's messages, the last one was actually on 2 Samuel chapter 20. Uh, But this morning, I'd like to skip ahead one chapter to look at chapter 22, which is really a self-contained unit, and it provides an amazing window into David's life and priorities. In fact, chapters 21 to 24, uh, in a way, form a sort of epilogue to the book of Samuel. So these chapters are not necessarily chronological. In fact, I think there's a chiastic structure here that binds these uh, chapters together. 21, 1 to 14, deals with a sin committed in Saul's day. We could call that A. Then there's a report of the battles of David's mighty men in uh, the end of chapter 21. We could call that B. Then we have in chapter 22, which we're going to look at this morning, the Song of David, C, followed by 23, 1 to 7, the last words of David, C prime. Then 23, 8 to 39, the list and exploits of David's mighty men, B prime. And finally, the sin that David committed Uh, uh, or the sin that was committed in David's day by David in chapter 24 that closes out the book, and that would be A prime. 
So the centerpieces of these chapters, I believe, is the Song of David in chapter 22 that we'll be looking at this week, as well as the last words of David in the next section in 23, 1 to 7, that your pastor will be looking at later. Uh, Chapter 22, 2 Samuel 22, is actually nearly identical to Psalm 18. Verse 1 gives us the setting of the song. Uh, David composed it after the Lord had delivered him from Saul and from all his enemies. And those scholars differ. I think it's probable in light of verses 21 to 25 that David composed the song sometime after 2 Samuel 10 when the Lord had delivered David from Saul and his major enemies and before his sin with Bathsheba, In chapter 11. But it could also have been written near the end of his life. In any case, its placement uh, here is no accident. It really is a summary of how David looked at his life. Now, I may be uh, a rather odd person, and I don't really want any comments on that particular statement. Um, Probably my wife would back me up that I'm odd in a lot of ways, but In some ways, I enjoy memorial services, especially memorial services of believers. I often learn a lot of things about a person that I may not have known, and it's always interesting to hear how other people summarize a person's life. If you or I were writing the biography of David, we'd probably have emphasized what a great and powerful man David was, who did many wonderful things. But David's emphasis is different. He emphasizes how great and powerful his God is who allowed David to accomplish these things. On your outline sheet, you can see that I've divided the uh, psalm into five sections. Uh, Now, there are different ways of composing a song or a story. You can begin gradually and then get to the climax at the very end, and that often works very well. Or you can do what David does here. David <clears throat> begins the song with a bang. He doesn't waste any time setting the mood of the tone. He starts right here in verses one, uh, 2 to 4 uh, in the first section of the song with his major theme. He praises the Lord, his deliverer. On your outline sheet, I call this David's opening words of praise to the Lord, his deliverer. One commentator says, David doesn't begin to praise, he explodes in praise. Another commentator says that this introductory section contains the sum and substance of the whole psalm. So what what that means is that you've had a long week, or uh, a long night last night, though you did get that extra hour of sleep, so I'm not so sure that's a great excuse. But in a sense, you can get to the heart of the sermon in this first point and then doze off a bit. Well, I hope you don't do that uh, for the rest, but uh, you could. Uh, so he, he, David uses here nine different expressions, three groups of three, to describe his Lord. Uh, the Lord is David's cliff and his fortress, a combination David also uses in Psalm 31, verse 3. These two epithets are taken 
from the Palestine's uh, sheep terrain that David no doubt uh, used when he was a fugitive from Saul. 1 Samuel 22.4 speaks of David hiding in the strongholds or the fortress of Adullam. But though David took refuge in cliffs, his great hope for deliverance did not lie in the physical terrain. Rather, it relied in the Lord, his cliff, his fortress, and indeed his deliverer, as he states in the third expression in the first group in verse 2. In the second group in verse uh, uh, 3, David exclaims again that the Lord is his rock in whom he takes refuge, his shield and the horn of his salvation. A shield protects from hostile attacks, uh, while the horn, the image taken from animal uh, horns, uh, a sign of strength, the horn is used both to defend and to attack. Finally, in the third group, in uh, verse uh, 3b, David pictures the Lord as his stronghold, his place of refuge, and his savior, the one who saves him from violence. Again, in these first two terms, David goes back to his time as a fugitive from Saul. All these nine terms speak wonderfully of the Lord's protection of David through all kinds of dangerous circumstances. And so David concludes in verse 4 that he continually calls on the Lord, and the Lord continually saves him from his enemies. I'm taking the verbs there as uh, habitual imperfects. Sometimes they're used, uh, translated as simple um, futures, but I think they are habitual, meaning he continually does this. Surely, as David says, the Lord is worthy to be praised. There's one aspect of these verses that I don't want us to miss. David's view of the Lord is not that he is some impersonal force way up there that you can never see or really understand. No, all nine expressions about the Lord in verses 2 and 3 use the personal pronoun my, my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, and so forth. David's God is personal, and he personally cares for him. What about my God? What about your God? Uh, Is God just some kind of impersonal force who isn't really involved in you personally? That's what many people's idea of God is, and frankly, that's what most of the religions of the world think. Uh, Christianity is unique, and we have a Savior who came down to earth to die on the cross for our sins and be raised again that we might have eternal life. He did it personally for us. He is concerned about us as individuals, that is something, a truth that is shouted throughout the pages of the Old and New Testament. But sometimes we act just like the rest of the world with all of their uh, false gods, and they, that's what they think. Well, God, you know, he's way up there. He's too busy to care about me. That's not what David's view of God was, and I hope that it's not your view either. Uh, God is David's rock and refuge, and he is ours as well if we simply recognize it and trust in him. Well, you may say all these nice generalities are fine and good, but what proof do I have that God cares about me? 
Well, I'm glad you asked that question because, in fact, the rest of the song of David gives specifics about how God helped uh, David uh, in in so many ways. Um, In the second major section of the song, verses 5 through 20, we see how the Lord dramatically delivers David from his enemies. That's our second outline point, that the Lord dramatically delivers David from his enemies. Verse 5 begins with the word for. My version has uh, uh, when, but a a better translation would be for. Uh, And it clearly explains why the Lord is worthy to be praised. This isn't a small deliverance, uh, like uh, maybe fixing a chariot wheel or that uh, flat tire uh, on the beltway or cleaning up an accident on the beltway so that you could get home on time. Uh, No, in verses 5 and 6, David makes clear that he is facing certain death. Uh, He speaks of it metaphorically in flood imagery in verse 5, the waves of death, the floods of ungodliness, and then in the imagery of a hunter in verse 6, the the cords, not sorrows as some translations have, but the cords of Sheol and the snares of death. All of these things are surrounding David. Now, was David exaggerating here, you know, maybe for effect? Uh, No. The metaphors expressed the reality of David's life for many years as a fugitive from King Saul. I happen to be teaching right now 2 Corinthians uh, in my um, ABF class at at our church. And wow, David, uh, I'm sorry, but Paul had some of the same experiences. And he wasn't exaggerating either. And uh, (laughs) Wow, he had to go through all kinds of persecution and literal suffering. Uh, And that's exactly uh, true here of David. These metaphors express the reality of David's life for many years as a fugitive from Saul. As David said to Saul's son Jonathan in 1 Samuel 20, verse 3, Truly, as the Lord lives, there is but a step between me and death. And frankly, as, as I read the accounts in, uh, in 1 Samuel, I think, well, if I were David, I would have gotten away from Saul a whole lot faster than he did. He gave him chance after chance after chance. Um, but still, Saul was um, wrongfully uh, threatened by uh, David and thought he was his enemy instead of his friend. Well, how did David deal with such difficulty in his life, facing almost certain death? The answer is in verse 7. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. Verse 4 indicates that it was his lifelong pattern. So it's no surprise that that's exactly what David does in his most difficult hour. The last portion of verse 7 says that the Lord heard David's cry from his heavenly dwelling place. Now, I don't know what your immediate response is when you face a crisis. Often you and I will try to solve it ourselves. And we forget about the Lord. But David doesn't hesitate, as was his pattern throughout his life. When he faced a difficult crisis, he called out unto the Lord. But was the Lord able to help? Well, there's a difference, of course, between willing and being able. You know, if if I were able, I would definitely be willing to have been a pitcher for the Baltimore Orioles in the uh, playoff games. Uh, and, and, you know, of course I would have pitched a shutout 
Um, now, our pitcher in the first game, anyway, pitched quite well, but we didn't quite win that game, and then we lost the next two, and that was the end of that. Talk about uh, things that really matter. I guess that's not one of those things that I should call as most important. It was nice. We had a really great year, won 101 games, but that was that. Anyway, I'd be very willing to pitch for them. I mean, the fact that my hands can't even catch a ball, ah, that's incidental. I'd be extremely willing, uh, but not able. And uh, that, that may be true for many of us. So there's a difference between being willing and being able. Um, it, was the Lord able to help? Well, that's a silly question. And verses 8 to 16 tell us just how silly a question that really is. But you and I often act as if the Lord can't help or that his power is somehow limited, so he needs our help to solve our problem. Oh, that's brilliant, isn't it? That's why verses uh, 8 to 16 are so much fun to read. It's a magnificent theophany showing that the God who commands the heavens and the earth just might possibly be able to help David and help us with our problems. Listen to these uh, words uh, beginning in verse 8. Then the earth shook and trembled. The foundations of heaven quaked and were shaken because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. Coals were kindled by it. He bowed the heavens also, came down with darkness under his feet. He rode upon a cherub and flew. He was seen upon the wings of the wind. He made darkness canopies Around him, dark waters and thick clouds of the skies. From the brightness before him, coals of fire were kindled. The Lord thundered from heaven, and the Most High uttered his voice. He sent out arrows and scattered them, lightning bolts, and he vanquished them. Then the, the channels of the sea were seen. The foundations of the world were uncovered at the rebuke of the Lord, at the blast of the breath of his nostrils." Yes, I know, it's a poetic description, reminiscent actually of the Lord coming on Mount Sinai, uh, of, of the giving of uh, the Ten Commandments in Exodus 19, verses 16 to 19. And there's even a beautiful inclusio formed by the foundations of heaven in verse 8 and the foundations of the world or the earth in verse 16. But the point is this. Don't you think that the God who made heaven and earth in the first place and controls it completely can intervene and deliver you? David had no doubt, and neither should we. The fact is that the Lord cares so much for the plight of his servant David that it's not a problem for him to shake heaven and earth in his response. As one commentator, uh, Dale Ralph Davis, says, David could simply have said, the Lord intervened on my behalf. Six simple words instead of nearly 150. But David doesn't simply want to tell us a fact about the Lord. He wants us to experience it. I think he's exactly right. Now you may say, well, God doesn't thunder much on my behalf when I'm in a crisis. But I think we need to remember what happened to David. When we're told of these events in the narrative section of 1 Samuel, David eluding Saul's spear in 1 Samuel 18, Saul surrounding David in 1 Samuel 23, David probably having to march with the Philistines, the enemy, in 1 Samuel 29, just to mention three events, 
There's no thunder or lightning reported. Only the Lord delivering David in different ways each time. And that's the same thing that is true in our lives as well. But David knew that all these deliverances were from the almighty, omnipresent God. Just in the same uh, God that helps you and helps me. Some people think that verses 8 to 16 is just a general theophany, but in verses 17 to 20, David personalizes it. Uh, certainly in 17 to 20, it becomes more personal. He says that God did all of this in order to rescue him. Using that flood imagery once again, uh, David says that the Lord drew me out of many waters in verse 17. Though his enemies were strong, verse 18 says the Lord was stronger. Verse 19 says the Lord was his support and he delivered David safely because he delighted in him. Does God care about us? Absolutely. Do you think he's powerful to help us and no matter what our problems? Yes, that's a silly question. But if we know he's both willing and powerful enough to help us, then why don't we turn to him in every situation? Well, that last phrase in uh, verse uh, 20 of, uh, uh, of uh, this passage, he delivered me because he delights in him, uh, provides a fitting transition to verses 21 to 31, the third section of David's song. Does God answer everyone who calls upon him? No, he does not. That's a so sobering but an essential part of David's song. There are two reasons why God helps David and, by extension, us. First, in verses 21 to 25, because David is righteous, and second, in verses 26 to 31, because God is just. On your outline sheet, my statement for the third point is, the Lord rewards David's character and ours because he is just. Notice that verses 21 to 25 form a sort of inclusio, helping to define that first part of that section. Let's look briefly at the contents of verses 21 to 25 and then deal with two possible problems that may arise, at least they do in my thinking. In these verses, David says that he has been righteous, that his hands have been clean, he has kept the statutes of the Lord, he was blameless before the Lord, and he kept himself from iniquity. Now, as I read these words, uh, two questions immediately pop into my, my mind, and I'm guessing you may have the same ones. Uh, first, how can David possibly say that he was blameless and without iniquity? Even before his sin with Bathsheba in 2 Samuel 11, David is not presented without sin. In fact, that's why many people think, well, this song was written before 2 Samuel 11 when he committed adultery with Bathsheba and had her husband uh, Uriah murdered. And that may be the case. But even after this event, uh, as we have mentioned before, the Lord viewed David in a positive light. He is called a man after God's own heart in Acts chapter 13, verse 22. All the later kings were compared to David. Um, for example, 1 Kings 14.8, Rehoboam uh, says, You have not been as my servant David. 
who, was, who kept my commandments and who followed me with all his heart to do only what was right in my eyes. 1 Kings 15.5 says the same. David did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and had not turned aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life except, and it's a big except in my view, except in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. David was not sinless, nor is he claiming that here. Uh, but he is saying that his ways and his deeds were righteous as contrasted to the ways and deeds of his enemies. Just consider, for example, his refusal to kill Saul because he was the Lord's anointed. He had two chances to knock off Saul. I don't know what I would have done, but I think it I might have hesitated chance number one, but I would have gone for it chance number two. I'm, I'm not sure. I hope I wouldn't, but I think I might have. Anyway, uh, and Saul's trying to kill him. His uh, claim is similar to Paul's in Acts chapter 24 and verse 16, where Paul says, I myself always strive to have a conscience without offense toward God and men. I like what Alan Ross says here. David was claiming that he had been a true Israelite, faithful to the covenant and his covenant God, not that he was sinless. David's desire was to follow God with his whole whole heart. That's really what the word translated blameless in verse 24 means, wholehearted, complete, and he ordered his life accordingly. Time after time, David did not take matters into his own hands, but he waited on the Lord. He was hardly sinless, but when he sinned, he repented fully and sought God throughout his life. Second, the second thing I would wonder maybe a, a secondary uh, question, but I think still important to look at, isn't this teaching a sort of works salvation, that the Lord deals with us according to our works? Yet Paul says clearly in the New Testament, and I'm quite sure that you in, in this church know this, by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. But the Bible continually teaches from its, the first pages to the last that God honors faithfulness and he punishes pride and wickedness. And that should hardly come as some sort of a, a shock uh, to us. This isn't David somehow trying to do works to earn God's salvation. It is David with faith in God at the core of his being living out his faith in his works, the same as James 2.17 talks about. And in fact, the next verse after Ephesians 2.8 and 9, which I just quoted, Ephesians 2.10 says this, For we are his workmanship, his poem, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Well, verses 26 to 31 underscore the point that God helps not only David, but all who are like David, because God himself is just. To those who are merciful, as David was when he spared Saul's life, or Mephibosheth later on, to those who are merciful, God is merciful. Jesus says the same thing in the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy, Matthew 5, 7. To those who are upright or wholehearted in following the Lord, as David was, the Lord shows himself upright. 
to those who are pure in their motives and loyal to the Lord, the Lord shows himself pure. Likewise, in the Beatitudes, Matthew 5, 8, Jesus says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. To those who are crooked or devious, as Saul was to David many times, the Lord will show himself devious. And finally, God delights in saving the humble, but he brings down the proud. David always submitted himself to God's will, but Saul thought that he knew best, and he only used God or his rituals when it suited his purposes, and in doing so, he put himself above God. And may I say, sadly, I think there are many people today that do the same thing. Well, I haven't mentioned this before, but this is a good time to point out that there are many similarities between Hannah's song after the birth of Samuel, which is near the beginning of the book of uh, Samuel in 1 Samuel chapter 2, and David's song, which is near here at the end in Second uh, Samuel 22. They both speak of the horn as a metaphor for strength. Both speak of God as the rock and thundering from heaven. Both speak of the Lord's salvation and deliverance. And both emphasize that the Lord brings down the proud but lifts up the humble. You and I should not be fooled. God cares about our character. That's a constant theme throughout Scripture. He doesn't expect us to be perfect, but he does care about what we do, whether we're merciful, whether we're wholeheartedly following him, whether we're pure, whether we're humble. All of these things should flow from our hearts because we love him. If we love him, we will keep his commandments. As again, uh, Davis, uh, Dale Ralph Davis said, we cannot overemphasize the righteousness God gives us through Christ's work for us. But do we underemphasize the importance of actual righteous living? I think that's a great question. David continues in verses 29 to 31 by explaining that the Lord is the lamp who enlightens him and gives him almost superhuman energy so that he can accomplish any task. It's interesting that in 2 Samuel 21, 17, a few verses before this chapter, the men had called David the lamp of Israel. Well, David is simply reflecting God's glory in himself. Verse 31 emphasizes that David can do these amazing tasks, not on the basis of his own strength, but the Lord's, whose way is truly uh, perfect, whose word is proven, tested and true, and who is a shield to those who trust him. Notice as David concludes this section that there's no elitism in his thinking. David may be the king of Israel, but that's not why God has helped him and delivered him. No, the key to God's protection and deliverance is given at the end of verse 31. David trusts in him. If we think that God was just uh, de defending David because he was king, well, what did uh, God do? What was his relationship to Saul? It was quite different, wasn't it? David trusts in the Lord. All the character qualities that David mentions in verses 21 to 25 have their basis in David's faith and trust in the Lord. And David says that the Lord's protection and deliverance is, and don't miss this, available to all those who trust in him. That's exactly what our text says. 
And that includes you, and it includes me. Well, the fourth section of David's song, verses 32 to 46, provides a more detailed outworking of the Lord's deliverance. On your outline sheet, my summary is that the Lord empowers David to defeat his enemies and be exalted. David first emphasizes in verses uh, 32 to 37 that the Lord is David's strength and power, equipping him to accomplish great things. David asks two rhetorical questions in verse 32, and the answers are clear. No one's like the Lord. No one is a rock like the Lord. Since the Lord's way is perfect, he makes David's way perfect, verse 33, because David is simply following him. He is the source of David's strength. David says in verse 36 that the Lord's condescending to help him has made him great. In fact, in verses 33 to 37, all, in all eight clauses, the subject is God. The message is clear. God alone empowers and enables David. Verses 38 to 43 emphasize David's resounding defeat of his enemies, but again, under the Lord's direction. Verses 40 and 41 indicate it was the Lord's doing that David was so successful. And verse 42 says that the Lord didn't respond to David's enemies. So David accomplished great victories, but it was all because of the Lord. Finally, verses 44 to 46 highlight the Lord's establishment and protection of David in his kingdom. The Lord helped him both internally among his own people, verse 44a, as well as externally among the foreign nations. The Lord lifted David up among the nations. Maybe that seems obvious because you and I know of Solomon's kingdom to follow. But it was hardly obvious during the times of Saul when Israel constantly battled against the Philistines and others and David was running for his life most of the time. Here was David, who was almost killed multiple times during the reign of Saul, now lifted up over the nations. And it was all because of the Lord's empowerment and enablement. Have you reflected how the Lord has worked in your life? You're not sure whether he has. Maybe it goes back to the previous point. The Lord can't work through proud people, but he delights in working through those who are rooted in faith, who humbly seek to serve God wholeheartedly. By the way, and um, I appreciate you folks still praying for uh, Mark Hazlett and uh, for um, his situation. It was a year ago that he had a stroke. He's, uh, he's not really moved out of bed since. He can't move anything on his left side. And, and frankly, um, humanly speaking, the, the prognosis is not good. But one of the things that I have really noticed and appreciated is other than sort of typical complaints that anybody has with, you know, anytime you're in the hospital and with food or other things like that, he continually asks his visitors, how are you doing? What's going on in your life? Which is amazing considering the situation that he is in. And, uh, and he is still praising God uh, in everything that he does uh, and, and, and uh, citing scripture and thinking uh, about all of those things and recognizing, even though it's very difficult, his life here on earth right now is really, really tough, uh, he knows that he is going to be with the Lord and have eternal life because he'll have a new resurrection body. That is so important to realize and to reflect on 
and uh, he, Mark didn't know that this was happening to him. Uh, he had no idea that would be happening to him, but it did. But he's already de uh, um, decided that he would serve God wholeheartedly. And I hope that's your testimony because uh, surely God has worked in your life and he will continue to do so if that is the case. And then uh, finally, David concludes his song in as dramatic a fashion as he uh, began on your outline sheet of entitled this point, David's concluding resounding words of praise for the Lord's deliverance and mercy. Once again, David's theme hasn't changed much. It's the Lord. The Lord lives. How does David know that? Well, the previous 46 verses have explained that in great detail. It's not some stuffy theological principle that you'll read about in a book. It's a living, vibrant reality. David goes back to the terminology of God as his rock and his salvation, and he commands that God be exalted. Since the Lord has exalted David, David in turn wants to make sure that the Lord is exalted. Uh, he is the one uh, who, uh, who uh, did uh, works uh, to earn uh, uh, God's salvation. It's not, it's not the, the, the works, it's David with faith in God which is at the core of his being and living out his faith in his works, as we said already. And God is the one uh, who does all of these things. And so David, in that concluding uh, section, says that only God would help David, and he is the only one to help him and us with our problems. And uh, what a joy that is. Well, uh, I just think we need to recognize and understand who God is. Uh, in verse 50, David says he wants to give thanks and shout the Lord's praises, not just in Israel, catch this, but to the Gentiles as well. In so doing, he's really prefiguring what would one day happen to David's most famous de descendant, the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, the Apostle Paul quotes this verse in Romans 15 and verse 9, to explain that Christ would one day draw Jews and Gentiles together in glorifying God for his mercy and salvation. And that salvation was accomplished by Christ's death and resurrection. Indeed, as David concludes in verse 51, the Lord is the tower of salvation uh, to his king, showing mercy to his anointed, which not only included David, but it includes his descendants as well. What an amazing conclusion to this wonderful song. David would shout the praises of his God to the rooftops and beyond to the Gentiles as well. The Lord lives and he sustains me in everything I do, everywhere I go. Well, I hope that's your testimony this morning. Is your God alive as David's clearly is or is he asleep or maybe dead? Well, surely it's not God who's asleep, uh, but maybe you or I. Uh, maybe you've never experienced his salvation because you've never yet trusted in Christ as your Savior uh, and recognize that his offer of salvation through the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ uh, is, is available for you today. And I would encourage you to do that uh, today. Or maybe you have accepted Christ as your Savior, but you've allowed yourself to be distracted, as we were talking about in the beginning of this message, by less important things. 
uh, whether pursuit of riches or fame, or maybe you've been uh, disappointed in various things in your life or just burdened down by the cares of this world. And maybe you've forgotten how great your God is. Let David's song remind you again of these wonderful truths. Let's never forget that God is our rock and our salvation, that God cares personally about you and about me, and he can dramatically intervene in our lives. God delights in exalting those who humbly and wholeheartedly seek him. It's all about God's power, not our own. And let's shout to the world that the Lord lives, and he is the rock of our salvation. Truly, how great is our God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. I thank you for David's uh, song of thanksgiving here. Lord, And as we enter even into the calendar month of November, and we think of thanksgiving uh, later this month, we realize as believers, uh, we are those who uh, should be and hopefully are thanking God each day for all that he has done for us. And I pray, Father, that that would be our uh, testimony, Lord, and that we would be a testimony to those around of God's goodness in our lives. Thank you, Lord, for all that you have done for us and help us to shout out that the Lord lives to those around us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.